You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical church located outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. And in order to love our neighbors during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are currently not gathering in person, but you can join us live online on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. We have a live stream every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. So at, at this time, uh, we're going to move into um, move into opening the Word together. So if you have your Bibles with you, or your your cell phone app, or or whatever, you can turn uh, to Ephesians, and we're going to be in um, chapter two. We're going to jump around a little bit, um, but it's uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, one through five, and then eleven through twenty-two. Uh, so you can turn there. I've been thinking this week about something that, that Jesus said, not in Ephesians, but in John, John 17. Uh, Jesus prayed this prayer for his church, and it's been on my heart um, really the last several months. Uh, in John 17, 20 and 21, uh, Jesus prayed this. He said, Lord, my He's praying to his father. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. He said, my prayer, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Uh, So right before Jesus went to the cross, when he had the chance to pray for his disciples and all of the Christians that would come after, his main prayer was that they be one, like he and the Father is one. So that they might be in, that we might be in them, and so then the world would believe that we were sent by God because of our, our unity. And I can't think of a time in my a very short uh, ministry in life when the church has needed this prayer more. I I can't think of a time, you know, we are living in a divided time. Uh, More than any other time in my life where every, uh, every preference, every ideology, every identity you have pulls you into a camp. And in that camp, they say, okay, everybody in this circle, it's a good thing we're in circles today, is good. And everybody outside is, is bad. Uh, and so, you know, today our words for these are, you know, either you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. Uh, maybe you're black or you're white. Maybe you're rural or you're urban or conservative or liberal or Packers or Vikings, uh, mask or no mask. But whatever behavior, whatever preference you can possibly have, there's a camp that you can sit in and you can divide from others in it. You know, even even there's people that like pineapple on pizza and good people. (laughs) Just kidding. Is anybody a pineapple pizza? You're going to get some. I apologize in advance. I I love you in in the Lord. We can all be wrong and I'll pray for you. Um, no, it's crazy though, right? It's, and it's tearing at our families to the point where you can't, um, you can't go to dinner with your family anymore, right? Uh, without it being a battle. 
It's tearing at our workplaces and, and it's tearing inside our churches. You know, I was talking to um, some of our conference leaders in the Northwest Conference um, a couple weeks ago, and I have never heard our, our leaders so exhausted in my life. Because every day for them, imagine you're one of these people, and maybe, maybe you've done this, I don't know. Every day for them, they get calls upon calls upon calls from, from Christians who are mad at, at something that they've said. And it's either one side or, or the other. Uh, you know, in every issue, every question, it, they're just inundated and, and they're exhausted and it's, it's tearing us apart. And oftentimes, I think in the church and in families and in life, when we're faced with uh, disagreements or divides, we, we do two different things. Either we fight or we flee. Uh, so some of us, uh, we, we like to fight, right? And so, so when you find somebody that you disagree with or when you come to a position, you know, you join a team and, and we join a team and we just start yelling, right? No, you're wrong and this is why. And you're not only are you wrong, right? You're terrible for even conceiving of, of eating pineapple on pizza. Sorry, guys. No. Um, so that's one side. And, and that's not, I don't think we fall into that most of the time around here. I think around here, we fall into the flea category. And so when we meet somebody that we disagree with, or when there's a disagreement in our family or in our church, we, we run from it. And the way we run from it is by sort of collectively deciding that we just won't talk about that anymore. Uh, you know, so like, I, I know in you know, in, in my family, my brother, he's a fighter. He likes to poke and prod. And he used to, um, this is going to, this is just my family. He used to tell my dad that he really wanted like an iPod. And my dad is a PC person. And he's like, no, you can't have an iPod. It was this big fight. And eventually we just had to stop talking about it because he got the iPad and we were just going to let it go, right? Um, but, but fleeing, um, what often happens is we just sort of stuff it. We don't talk about it. And then gradually... We get more things to add into that category of stuff we won't talk about with our family members, right? Um, and what often happens is uh, fighting, right? Fighting leads to polarization in our, in our country, in our families. This fighting leads to separation. Um, but fleeing, uh, it seems nicer, uh, but it leads to kind of irrelevance, right? Because if you're a family, the more things that you can't talk about because somebody's going to get mad or, or you can't go through because it's going to start a fight, the more things you add to that list, you discover there's less and less that you have in common with the people around you. Uh, the less and less likely we are to share the real stuff that's going on in our lives because we know that our nice, warm family unity is, is maintained uh, by just ignoring the most important stuff in life. And so we either fight or, or we flee. And I think this is especially true in the church. You know, it, it, we kind of either insist that you be completely uniform to belong to a church. You've got to be just like us uh, or, or get lost. Uh, or on the other side, we, we practice this like really shallow, really irrelevant um, unity where we never talk about anything that matters because we're afraid that somebody's going to have a different thought on this. Uh, and, it, and it's just kind of easier. 
right? And, and so what happens, and, and we're seeing this all over our, our country, our culture, uh, and in our families, is um, in this uh, world, we're getting increasingly segregated and separated from each other. We're getting increasingly polarized. And so what, what happens, and it's really sad because of what Jesus prayed, what happens is that in a, a racially segregated world, in a politically polarized world, in an increasingly divided and at each other's throat world, the church... It's increasingly polarized. It's increasingly segregated. It's increasingly divided. And what's really sad is that if you're not in the church and you look at, at believers who, who God said, may they be one like we are one, you see, well, there's this church and we believe this specific thing and we all vote this way and there's that church and, and we think this way and we, and we all do this. And so every church and we all sit around saying, well, they're not real Christians, right? And, and people from the outside see Christ's body and they wonder, you know, is there anything different about that? Because my, my world's already divided. I already only hang out with people just like me. Isn't it interesting that the church is just the same? You know, we wind up with a, with a pineapple pizza lover's church. Just kidding. People who like pineapple on their pizza don't go to church. Just kidding. Um, and, and so it makes me wonder, and where I've been wrestling with is, is it possible to be united as one body of Christ without being uniform? Is it possible to, to have honest conversations, even when we disagree, and still somehow hold together and not run into our camps? Well, in Paul's day, the author of Ephesians, um, people had as many ways as we do of dividing. Actually, they probably had more. In Paul's day, uh, they called themselves Jews and Gentiles, or uh, Roman citizens and, and colonized people or male and female, or slave and free, citizen, foreigner, family, stranger, sinner, righteous. But because of Jesus, who lived his life crossing boundaries, uh, because of the work of God recorded in Acts, uh, if you read the New Testament, you'll find uh, the early church is full of people who are totally different from each other. Uh, people who never would have sat around the same table. And the main reason why we know the early church was full of people that weren't like each other is because most of the letters written to the early church are encouraging people to find a way to work together and live together and love each other even though you're not the same. Uh, the number one problem they had was trying to hold together in unity even though they weren't uniform. And so, and so as Paul is, is spreading the gospel, as these little Christian communities are starting, uh, and, and men and women are eating at the same table, and slaves and free people are eating at the same table, and Jews and Gentiles are eating at the same table, um, nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever crossed those lines before. And so Paul's constantly having to write to them to say, no, don't be like those divided people. Be something different. Don't start your own church with the people just like you. Stay with those people that drive you crazy, uh, Paul, Paul is constantly saying. He says, uh, don't fight, don't flee, but be united together. Um, <clears throat> and, and the way that he does this in, in Ephesians is in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5 and 11 through 22. We're just going to look at, at one way and why Paul thinks this is possible. 
Because in Paul's world, it seemed impossible that a Jew and a Gentile could be friends. It seemed impossible that they could have anything in common. And so in Paul's world where it's impossible for different sorts of people to come together, this is what he says. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Man, it is really windy, huh? He says this. He's talking about, uh, about his church. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about the evil one there. Uh, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. He says, all of us uh, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He's saying, this is who you used to be before you knew who Jesus was. He says, but... Because of his great mercy, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were dead in sin, it is by grace you have been saved. And skipping down uh, to verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. These are two different parties, two different political parties in the early church, um, which is done in the body rather than by human hands. Uh, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise and without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, <laughs> You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm skipping down to verse 16. And in one body, he brings them together in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And here's, here's his, here's, here it is right here. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. <clears throat> so Paul says two things here about what it means to know Jesus and what it means to be one in Christ. The first thing he says, um, all of those divisions, uh, he makes it really simple. He says, all of those divisions, uh, as real as they are, are small because the real division that matters is whether or not you're dead or alive. Uh, Paul says, whoever you were before you knew Christ, it, it doesn't matter because before you knew him, you were dead and now you're alive. What Paul is saying and what he says over and over again in his letters, that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are two categories. There are dead people who are not yet in Christ and there are live people. Uh, so, so those with Christ now 
and those who Christ is calling us to love and share him with. Paul is trying to tell them, he says, I know you think that your Roman citizenship is what makes you who you are. I know you think that your uh, circumcision or lack of circumcision is what makes you valuable and who you are. I know you think that your gender is what makes you who you are. But the truth is, the main thing that separates you from any other person is whether or not you're alive in Christ. You have more in common, Paul is trying to say, with those in Christ than you have with people that share your skin tone or your education or your politics or your gender or your profession because the only question that matters is whether or not you're dead. And if you call Jesus Lord, you are one in Christ with those who call him Lord. And so the question is, uh, for me, you know, does this mean if we're all supposed to be one, does this mean uh, that uh, we should pretend that we don't have different political views? Uh, Does this mean that we should pretend that we don't uh, have class differences or different national backgrounds for some of us maybe, or, or different cultures or different genders? No, 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 of course not, of course not. That would be a lie. We all sit somewhere, right? Uh, but, but this is what Paul is saying, that those identities, those things that seem really, really important must be put in the right order. For people who know Jesus, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a rich or poor, an American or a foreigner, black or white, rural or urban, liberal or conservative, male or female, those identities must come second to your identity in Christ. And if you're in Christ, those things can no longer define you. They no longer make who you are because something bigger does your life I know what you're thinking now because I I feel this way sometimes too. I think this way sometimes too. Maybe you're thinking, yes, pastor, why can't they do that, (laughs) right? Why can't somebody else do this better? And and I know you're thinking this because I think it. I struggle with it. It's always easier to see how somebody else's identity is misplaced instead of our own. But remember, whoever your they is, whoever it is that you wish could just see themselves as a Christian first and not something else, they are your brother or sister because we are one body in Christ with his death and resurrection at the center. We're one with all those who are in Christ. And guess what? Those who aren't, we're called to love even more so that they might one day come to know who Christ is. Uh, We've got people uh, in in these circles that are Democrats, Republicans, and everything in between. We have people that come to this church and that are online right now uh, that have different theologies, different ideologies, different backgrounds. Um, And the church worldwide, it has people of every color, every occupation, uh, every every theological difference on many, many non-essential things, every political ideology, every gender. And this is how it's meant to be. And we're called to come together because all of that stuff, as much as it matters, and it does matter, it's under who we are in Christ. We can disagree on politics, culture, solution to problems without fighting or fleeing, not because we're such easygoing, nice people, but because there is something bigger that we agree on. 
So in these interesting times, in these strange, uncertain days where it seems like every morning we wake up and find something new to disagree about, as the evil one tries to divide us, we are called, even when it's hard, even when we disagree, even when people are wrong and we're sure they're wrong and they're definitely 100% wrong, to hold on to each other as one body with many parts. And I don't just mean in this field, and I don't just mean you guys online. I mean um, down, down the street, our, our brothers and sisters at, at, at C3. I mean, uh, across the river, our, our brothers and sisters in Red Wing. I mean, uh, in the Twin Cities. I mean, in, um, <clears throat> in the White House or Washington, D.C. I mean, in the world, we are one body if we're in Christ. And I believe that this moment is a test for the church. And it's never been more important that we be united in our diversity and listening for God's voice in the mouths of our brothers and sisters in Christ than now. I believe that it's this time, and we have to, uh, I think part of that for me and for this church is we have, to, we have to repent of the ways that we've divided and devalued parts of Christ's body. We have to repent of the ways that we have let our preferences and identities define us instead of Christ. We need to repent of our sin and ask God to make us new. In this unprecedented moment with pandemics, with violence and racism and riots, both with peaceful protesters and violent actions in our backyards, with political division infecting every part of our lives, the question is this, will we weep with those who weep? Will we stand with those who are alone? Will we listen to people that we don't want to listen to? Will we throw ourselves in and listen to other Christians who disagree with us and challenge us? Will we pray for churches and Christians that we don't see eye to eye with? Will we pray for our brothers and sisters here that we don't see eye to eye with? Will we be able to worship alongside people who we think are wrong about stuff? Because we know in Christ, we have more in common with them than we do anyone else. If we don't, uh, we'll just be another faction, another club, another party uh, further dividing. God is calling us for such a time as this. And I think if we rise to that challenge we will find that Christ's body is much stronger whole than it is divided. We'll find ourselves challenged by what's happening with other people. We'll find ourselves weeping with people who weep in ways we never imagined. I think people who think differently will challenge our choices and we'll discover that, that they have much more to offer us than we ever thought possible. We'll find that our broken, dysfunctional, and conflicted world will wonder how white Christians can listen to black Christians and black Christians can listen to white Christians. How Republican Christians can listen to Democrat Christians and Democrat Christians can listen to Republican Christians. How male and female can function together as one body in a divided world. And our unity in diversity will show the world what a united and diverse God looks like. And I think that's irresistible. 
I pray that we may have soft hearts to see our sin and confess it. Listening ears to hear the cries of our brothers and sisters in an abundance of love and grace during this time. And finally, the spirit of unity holding us all together. We're invited to choose life or death today. To confess our sin and be set free from it. To be forgiven and promised eternal life because of Jesus and to be made new by the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that before, I want to invite you to do that today. If maybe you've done that before, but you're more aware today of the ways that you've let your other identities define you, I want to invite you to do that with me today by praying this prayer with me. Father God, I have sinned. I've put something else that's important ahead of you. I've not treated other people right. I've not listened to other people. Lord, I have sinned. I am not good enough on my own, and I don't have it all figured out. Because of Jesus who died and rose again, forgive me. By the Holy Spirit, Lord, make me new. And because of the resurrection, help me to trust in your eternal life. Thank you, God, for what you did through your Son on the cross and in the empty tomb. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.